Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 65. Today we spoke to Pete Cartledge, Band 7 Advanced Physiotherapist, specialising in orthopaedics and major trauma at the Royal Stoke Hospital, UK, and current COVID-19 frontline healthcare practitioner. We learn about the preparation and current management plan to cope with this unprecedented time. Pete has also just recovered from having been diagnosed with COVID-19. Hear firsthand what this was like for him. Listen to what Pete has taken from this period to appreciate moving forward. Many reflections and lessons. Thanks for your service, Pete. Stay safe and wash your hands all. Hi, welcome to Sleepy Performer Pete. We're joined on the line by Pete Cartledge. I'll pass you over to David, who will introduce. Really looking forward to hearing from Pete, who is one of my really good friends. I've known Pete a long time, studied physiotherapy in Keele University with Pete in Stoke-on-Trent. He's now a Band 7 advanced physiotherapist specializing in orthopedics, um, works in major trauma out of the Royal Stoke Hospital in Stoke-on-Trent. So we're really looking forward to hearing how Pete's work um, has been affected through this period and, and what high performance means to Pete in his space. So Pete, thanks very much for taking the time. No How's problem. life? Yeah, all good, thank you. Yeah, can't complain. I hope you're all well. Absolutely. Pete, give, give the listeners a bit of a sense as to what, what this whole period has been like over the last couple of months, where you've been living and what you've been doing in a workspace. Right, okay. Um, so from my point of view, I'm working on the wards. I work on the trauma ward, which um, is in the orthopaedic division. So at this stage, it's been really preparing for like what was to come and it was a bit of the unknown so there's quite a lot of anxiety initially and still is in the air at the minute when I'm at work but I think the staff and the management have done a really good job of putting a decent plan in place to cope what has been thrown at them in unprecedented times really um, and I can speak personally my my management and my staff that I work with have coped with it really well um, we've been quite flexible in how we work to deal with this um, obviously pandemic that's sweeping across the world. Yeah. And like Pete, I was just chatting to you a couple of days ago there in preparation for this call. And just so listeners have an awareness, you told me you actually got COVID yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it'll be two weeks ago. Um, a lot of the nursing staff and the MDT team that I work with went off Within a week, there was quite a lot of people going off ill with some of the symptoms of COVID, but obviously we have to take full precaution and they had to stay off and isolate. So they reduced patients coming onto the ward to reduce the risk there as well, to reduce the spread. Um, so they did a lot, a big um, swab of all the staff that work on the ward. And there was a couple of, a couple of members of staff, including myself, which actually swabbed positive, although we were asymptomatic of the disease. So. Um, it just shows that 
you need to be really diligent with it and why these things are in place and enforced because it is hard work at work at the minute to try and keep all of these regulations and all the different things that we're doing from washing your hands to wearing all the equipment it takes it out of you a little bit but and then but these that swab just showed how important it is because i felt absolutely fine i did a six mile run that evening when i got swabbed so um but yeah and it, it was a little bit scary i suppose at first because i thought well i'm okay now but am i going to get a lot worse than this or am i fit enough to deal with it is it that I've had it before. There was a lot of questions going in my head, but I think you can overthink it too much and you can get yourself wound up by it almost and anxious of it. So I just tried to keep myself as healthy as I could and tried to keep doing what I was doing, although I was off work isolating. Um, I was in close contact with my work team as well, updating every day on how I felt and what the plan was. And they were doing the same, linking in with the occupational health team as well, which again were very good and supported you through it. Um, so yeah, it's a bit, bit unusual and quite weird to talk about it like this, to be honest. So yeah. yeah. Positive aspect is that you're feeling well. Did you get any symptoms during the time, during your isolation period? Um, towards the back end of the week, because I got tested positive initially, it was just the week I had to do. Um, my girlfriend had to have the two weeks off cause she works in another hospital as well. So she had to do two weeks isolation, but towards the last few days of um, the isolation period I developed maybe a tiny bit of a dry cough but I was just penning it down to my hay fever because I was sneezing and coughing prior to that anyway um, and otherwise I was feeling fit and well to be honest it would have been nothing that I'd have been complained about or that affected me I didn't take anything for it I just like I say tried to keep maintaining hydration and trying to keep doing the activities that I was doing as best as I could so and like you said, you were asymptomatic, people. You went out for your six-mile run that evening. Like, like psychologically, mentally, has this impacted you over the last couple of weeks? Like, I, I can't imagine if I was told, okay, David, you're asymptomatic, but actually you now have COVID-19, you have to self-isolate and look after yourself and watch you're in close proximity to. Like, like what's what's that been like for you to deal with? And maybe bear in mind when you'll be going back to work. Yeah, so the runs, I, I mean, I felt fine doing the runs, otherwise I wouldn't have done them. I, was, I carried on doing them. I, I like to use them, not only just physically, I, it just gives you a break. I've been in a busy hospital all day. I just like the release, just going going for a run, takes your minds off things, sometimes chuck my music on and um, just keep running, really. Um, but going back to work, like I say, I'd got, I had to do, on my return to work, I had to go and do a drive-through swab back at the hospital, which was a bit of an unusual experience as well, winding down the window when it's raining for a nurse to chuck a swab up your nose and down your throat. It was a bit weird, but um, <laughs> tell the grandkids, one of them. But, um, <laughs> so I had to do that and I got the all cleared, so that was in place. But then going back to work, like I say, We've got such a good team where I am. They were very supportive, even throughout the time when I couldn't go out to the shops. I had lots of people, family, friends, uh, colleagues, all asking me. I could have had 20 deliveries of shopping done if I wanted to. So I felt the support there. And obviously feeling well in myself, I felt fine getting back to work. But uh, on a different story, I got back to work last Monday and I met the ward sister and she'd been off for two and a half to three weeks. And she's... 
um, she's fit and well normally, does a lot of circuit classes and running herself. And I met her at the top of two flights of stairs where we got onto the ward. And I was like, how are you doing? And she could barely speak. It had really taken it out of her and really knocked her fitness and it had scared her. So if you chatted to her, it would be obviously a different side of the story to it because she was really taken back by it. So um, I was lucky, I suppose. <laughs> and and your your parents, your mum and dad, like they've been unaffected by it and kind of, you know, when you when you probably told them over the phone that I've actually been diagnosed with the coronavirus, kind of what was their reaction to that? Um, they were a little bit shocked and they were like, Well, you're speaking to me fine there because I've been trying to speak to them every day as well, giving them a video call because they're obviously isolating on their own, so try and keep their heads up and they were a little bit shocked. And when I told the family, I'm like, oh, are you all right? Are you okay? And everything. I was like, well, weirdly, I, again, I am. I'm okay, luckily. So um, they were saying, if there's anything I can do and help you, just do it. But look after yourself. And not much particularly changed there. They've always been supportive throughout my life. And obviously, thank them for that. And they've just been there if I need, needed anything. But luckily, touch wood, it didn't develop into anything serious like we've seen throughout throughout the world as it is now. So That's great, to be honest, that you, you got slightly unscathed by it all. But in terms of the healthcare workers that you're working with and the general atmosphere in the hospitals, has it, has, is there an element of stress or is there everybody dealing with it quite well? Or what do you sort of feel when you're in day-to-day? Um. Yeah, all of that. Everyone's in different situations. So I've got colleagues who have got older relatives at home, so they've got the anxieties regarding that, um, looking after them. People with young children, so we've had to manage hours, time, people are working and be really flexible with that. Obviously, going in and treating patients on the front line, going in and being in that one-to-one space with all the PPE, even for myself, it did bring around concerns and making sure everyone was safe and that we're doing the right things it's constantly checking and we're constantly being updated and almost questioned on whether we're doing the right things which is perfectly reasonable checking that we're up to date with all the government guidelines ensuring that everyone's safe but you could get so many stories from different people just how they reacting to it and what they've had to do because i've got friends that are literally isolating for three months they're only allowed to open the window um, just for fresh air they're not even allowed into the garden I mean I can't imagine that I'm quite an outdoor kind of person like to get out there um, and like I've told you go for the runs and things and walks out in the countryside so um, and so other people I think they found it quite challenging and I can't really speak for the people down on critical care again I've got colleagues and friends down there and they're in the gloves and the full gear all day and I think it is taking the toll a little bit on them but from when I've spoken to them they seem quite upbeat and it's it's, that's just part of the nature of I suppose in the NHS working you get on with it and try and help because essentially they're aiming for the health of people to get people better and that's why we're in the job that's why we do what we do so um they're getting on with it and it's tough, but I think they're doing fine with it. And then obviously you'd have to ask them down there. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on critical care this week, actually, so I can witness it myself. So, And are, are there supports put in place, Pete, to support 
that frontline, those frontline practitioners, maybe in critical care or who you're responsible with, that might need some kind of mental support, mental health for this time, because just even coping with managing the caseload, but also having to deal with all this on top of that, like what, what's your kind of, where do you sit in that? So, um, We've, we've always got points of contact with our senior members of staff so we can contact and raise any concerns there. We're trying to look after the staff as best as we can. We've been given that many things from outside the general public. It's been overwhelming seeing how much stuff we've been sent through. We've been having food parcels given us like a pack of sandwiches and drinks and some fruit. And I know it doesn't perhaps seem much or some people might not see it as much, but just not to have to think about making some food the next day so you can just literally go out, go and have your dinner, sit outside. Um, there's things like that. Occupational health have put on mental health workshops, which I've not actually ventured, had a look too much into them, but they're certainly available to contact if anyone needs any further support. There's been self-awareness questionnaires on how to deal um, or how you're coping and how you are dealing with this situation. And then you can either share that with people and they can overlook it and perhaps put any management plans in place, which may be able to assist to deal with the current situation. So overall, like I said at the beginning, the trust, from my point of view, has put a lot of things in place and I've been quite happy and quite um, made me feel quite what's the word like they were they were really looking after us and they wanted the best for us obviously to keep the staff healthy and safe and it was reassuring to see how much they'd done and gone to them limits and different things that are seen even if it is just little things like the self-awareness thing it's just you know it's there and it's another little bit of thoughts which makes you feel better in yourself and happier doing the job as well so hmm Definitely. And one thing that I think has been interesting is the public awareness of what great organizations like the NHS do. I mean, David and myself have great experience. I've worked in major trauma centers like yourself. So I know exactly what it's like running on day to day. And we haven't got the exposure of it, of seeing what it's like in there now, but the public have a lot more. So there's been obviously a lot of the clapping and a lot of the support our front line. And what has been the general sense of sort of reception in the NHS of workers to that has it been you know overwhelming gratitude or has it just been sort of we just have to get on because from mixed reactions I've been hearing it's sort of do you know what's our daily job we we just do it anyway yeah it is um, that, I mean the first time they started doing that clapping on the Thursday night I went out into the street and it was it was a bit overwhelming to see because like this is my daily job I chose to do this job so I kind of knew the ins and outs of it obviously you wouldn't expect anything like this although you knew the potential could be there but it's obviously happened now it was I'd seen all the it seen all the public out in the street clapping away smiling away as well and just actually taking a step back and looking at what a great service is there on the doorstep and access um, for them to use. So, and people that have spoken to as well have been like thanking me for my work and I almost felt bad. I'm like, well, it is my job, so that's what I do. Um, and all yeah, the staff as I think well. It's a real positive out. Say again, sorry. I think it's a real positive coming out of this pandemic that people are getting that awareness and starting to know how great a job you guys do. Yeah, and then, but again, other people are looking at themselves a bit more and making making more time for 
themselves, friends and family, which I don't think we do enough of. And I've tried to do certainly over the last couple of years as well, just from a professional point of view and in my private life, just to try and make me a bit more rounded and appreciate more things. So, and I think that's this has done that. Unfortunately, it's come at quite a cost, hasn't it? But it might make people realise smaller things in life and what to appreciate along with your big NHS services and other services out there. Obviously, people have been going about the daily jobs and things, um, not just the NHS, just getting on with it and dealing with it, I suppose. Definitely. That's a huge lesson, I think, for us all to have drawn through this period. For you personally, Peter, what other, I suppose, lessons have you taken or are you continuing to take from what is a unique situation that none of us have ever lived through before? Like when this all ends, how will this have really maybe changed or impacted you as a person? Um, I think going along the lines I've just said as well, taking more time out to just sit and chat to family and friends, put the time in place. Because I'm quite quite busy. I like to go into all my classes and I play a lot of football, as you know, Dave, or try to, as you'd probably say. Um, <laughs> but um, I've tr- I fill my schedule quite a lot and I'm often bouncing from one thing to the other. And I think I'm going to reduce that down, take a step back, take a bit more time for myself and put family and friends further in, the, uh, in front. So a bit more quality time there. And not have to rush around as much when I am. I've got my own downtime to look after myself and then help others as well, hopefully, to do that. Perfect. We were just going to pivot for a minute, okay? Like that's That gives the listeners a really good sense as to what you've had to deal with and, and how you're managing what is an extremely unprecedented situation. But let's talk about something completely different because you just mentioned football, right? Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts on, on the English Premier League? Bundesliga starts up soon, right? So the, the German teams are going to be going back playing um, with empty stadiums. BT Sport are going to be showing games live over the next 10 days. What, what do you think in terms of what the Premier League should be doing? Um, obviously, safety is number one. But... I obviously miss my football as well. So part of me thinks, right, let's play it. Let's make it as safe as you can. But then I've been hearing teams returning back to training, Bundesliga and Premier League, where there's um, the players are actually catching the COVID as well. So although they might be fit enough and young enough to deal with it, they're going to go back to families and friends who might be more, more vulnerable. So I think we've got to look at the bigger picture than just a game of football. Um, obviously three quarters of the season is done and there's a lot of money and things invested in it but if this isn't a thing that makes you step back and look at the bigger picture like I said before then I don't know what is So you're saying you would, you'd nearly stop the season now just say leave it for now let's, let's get on top of the situation and start the new season when we're ready to start the new season I, I personally think so, just because it is such a big industry and that many people invest time into it, not just the players and the staff as well. I mean, I used to work with a local football team as well, so I know what goes on in the background and the preparation for that. So there'd be a lot of people going back and doing things, or I suppose putting themselves at risk of catching catching the disease. But if you can make that as safe as possible I think that would be manageable 
but it's the outside because people will be desperate to see the football. They'll probably go in big social gatherings which aren't permitted at the minute, um, whether that's in houses or public houses. I don't know. I think the greater risk is actually people trying to view it and um, bringing in big crowds together. So that would be my concern and probably why I would cancel it for this season. Yeah, I definitely think one of the allures of sport is actually gathering with friends and supporters, even rival supporters, just for that inclusion, watching it. So I think it's a big difficulty in policing, as you said. It's a good insight, actually. Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, I've got a season ticket with my dad. I sit, I go to the Stoke games. Um, and up it's the a, potter. Up the potters, yeah. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's, I get to sit with my dad and we have a great time, go there, have a couple of drinks and watch the football and my friends and their, their dads come down as well. So it's a great time to meet up. But obviously, at this stage, it would be putting people at risk. So I don't think we could do it. Yeah. Now, you've just touched on a really good point there. You go to the matches in the stadium watching Stoke City with your dad. So what do you think COVID is going to do for our community and for our parents and for our grandparents, like the knock-on effect mentally, physically, of what it could have for, for I suppose, the, the next generation, never mind, never mind our, our sons and daughters. What, what do you think? How are we going to fix that or get back to where we were? Well, touching back on the, the clapping in the street and the appreciation there, the community spirit, I've never seen anything like it in my life. So. I'd like to think um, throughout the community there, we'll be looking out for each other a little bit more. But like you've said, different generations are probably going to deal with this differently. So me saying that is easy to say rather than an 85-year-old who's not been out of the house and has not been able to do anything for four months, say, is going to have a different view on that and probably be quite scared to do normal activities and go out just due to the risk. But um, and then youngsters as well may not be quite so educated on this. So, again, maybe a bit fearful of it, or it might be the opposite where they just don't, it doesn't affect them at all. But I'd like to think from looking at it, it's given us a bit of a more perspective on life and the things to appreciate um, to give time to do that, basically. Yeah, perfect. In the last couple of months, Pete, what, what do you feel in particular that you maybe have been able to do more of? You know, you've had a little bit more time at times. Um, what have you maybe done more of now than you, you didn't realize actually really helped you four months ago or five months ago when you were just doing your normal flying around, playing footy five days a week, working hard, um, spending time with your girlfriend? Is there anything you've put into your day to day over the last two months that you want to keep moving forward that you've seen has has really helped you and benefited you? Um, yeah, there's been a couple of things to be honest. There's been so just at the start of this, I've got a friend who is a mental health nurse, and she was telling me about this mindfulness app that is available um, for like your Androids and your iPhones, and it helps with. It's meditation and then elements of mindfulness, so for like sleep and things like that. So I've been trying to incorporate some meditation um, and that into every day as I can in an evening to try and wind down. Uh, trying to read a little bit more, 
when I go out and I've said I go out and listening to my music and that she suggested just go out and have a walk but don't put any music on have no distractions and just take in take in the environment a little bit and listen to the noises and things and appreciate them and I've I have genuinely done that and taken that on board and yeah I feel it's helped me I sleep better I feel as fit as I have ever done to be honest as well because I've been doing more classes and more running so obviously not just of late but the running's up so feeling quite fit in that regard and I've been trying to do new recipes for cooking um, different meals and trying to broaden the horizon with that just to learn a new skills I suppose um, and add a bit of variety regarding that so little things, but they've added up throughout the day. And I've, I, like, I'll get home and I love going home and cooking now and enjoying the food and then have a run. So just appreciating the smaller things, I guess. That's a pretty good answer. I think if we all followed that, we'd be doing pretty well. Fitter, cooking. You know, yeah. a, lot, a lot of good things there. The um, the mindfulness, the, the meditation, I mean, I would never have done and probably as blokes we kind of pass that things off, but I've been a bit more open to it. And I had a real good conversation with my friend and she was like, give it a go. So I've subscribed to this thing and um, I, you, it talks you through it, but it's like a step-by-step guide of doing it and you can do different stages of it. And I try and do it, even if I've not got the phone with me on that and I've got 10 or 15 minutes and I'm just sat, I'll perhaps try and do a little bit, just thinking it through. And yeah, I think it has helped me. I'm certainly sleeping better anyway. What's the name of the app, Eve? Um, Headspace, I think it is. Headspace. Uh, Andy Puttercon. Yeah, good one. Um, so just putting COVID on a shelf for a minute and just talking about a snapshot of your daily life before it happened or anything like that, working as an advanced physio in a major trauma centre, what sort of challenges and, and insights can you give from that job to the listeners? So uh, it's... It's a very busy hospital, and like I said, we're the trauma centre for the Midlands, so we get quite a lot of complex cases flown in. Quite a densely populated area as well, so the turnover of patients is quite quite fast and quick as well. So challenges regarding patients is that they can be quite complex and different. You never really know what's going to come through the door, but you're learning something every day. Um, something new crops up, something slightly different, which I find really interesting, and that's why I love my job. I work very closely with lots of different members, other professions. So we've got our our techs that work with us, OTs, work very close with the advanced nurse practitioners, the doctors, the consultants all link in as well, regular MDTs to them. So working alongside them to get patients basically up and safe to go home and get them on the mend so we can get them back to their normal lives. So there's the challenges with working in a big team like that, covering a lot of patients, um, managing the team as well. Obviously, everyone's got their own life, their own personal problems, and what might not be an issue for one person might be a big deal for others. So I like to think I'm quite a good um, a good person to communicate to. I think I've got quite good personal skills like that. Um, they probably tell me different when I go back work if they hear this now, but... Um, <laughs> 
I like to I like to think I can try and work through and be reasonable and fair. Obviously, trying to get the job done because the job has got to get done, and that's what we're there for at the end of the day. But to look after staff as well, so that's a regular challenge on a daily basis. To be honest, there's something that crops up. Time management, always resources can be an issue sometimes. Although we're not too bad where we are at the minute, so several different things. But I like to think. As a team, we're very good. And as I mentioned, I've got a great team around me and the management as well are always very supportive, which to assist in my job helps no end. Very good. Pete, anyone who comes onto this podcast, it's always fitting that we finish with a very simple question. What does high performance mean to you, Pete? High performance. So if I was to put that in every day, just an everyday situation, it would be doing the best you can when you can. Um, If I was to do it more in a work role, it would be getting the best out of a patient and getting them home safely and securely. Um, If I did it in a sporting situation, it would be working as hard as you can and trying your best, which, again, you can apply to to your everyday life as well. Pete Cartledge, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to Kieran and myself on Sleepy Performer Pete. Um, Been really enjoyable. Obviously, you're a really dear friend of mine, so I've enjoyed it even even more um, than you can imagine. Great insight for the listeners there. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you. And I'll get the oat cake sent in the post. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks very much, Pete. Keep Cheers, working. guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.